the the excitement I think lies in the fact that they're considering the implications of having student loans canceled and what that tax might mean for people who experience student loan forgiveness. That is Dr. Tony Bartels, and this is the Vin Foundation's Veterinary Pulse podcast. I'm Jordan Benchia, Executive Director of the Vin Foundation. Join me and our co-host and Vin Foundation board member, Dr. Matt Holland, as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories, stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible by individuals like you who donate to the Vin Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. Welcome, Tony. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me again. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah, as most listeners probably know by now, but just in case, uh, Dr. Tony Bartels is a VIN Foundation board member and a student debt educator, and you can find his bio in the episode notes. So like always, you're usually here and we're talking about these really important, lots of fun topics. Um, <laughs> you're, you're the fun topic guy, right? That's yeah. probably how you're known. <laughs> so let's just dive right in. And our topic for today is the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 and the included tax exemption for canceled student loans. And specifically what we're talking about is section 9675, which is the modification of treatment of student loan forgiveness. Is this something to get excited about? Yeah, I mean, geez, if there's anything you can get excited about, it's all that, right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so whatever, I mean, it's always it's always big news when Congress does anything and it gets signed into law, but when it, when it changes how things can potentially work with your student loans, we do have to pay extra special attention. So um, kind of buried in all of the other uh, complex um, things that the, uh, the recent legislation provided, um, it also exempted student loan cancellation uh, from being considered as taxable income, uh, but only for the tax years 2021 through 2025. And that's that's important because when we talk about student loans and particularly income-driven plans and forgiveness, um, forgiveness is synonymous with cancellation of debt uh, in the eyes of the IRS. So basically, um, in what we're familiar with it mostly, or I'm familiar with it mostly when it, in the context of income-driven repayment plans where you make payments uh, for a certain number of years, and if you still have a balance remaining, that balance is forgiven or canceled and then treated as taxable income. Well, this, this legislation that was recently passed exempts that forgiveness or that canceled student debt specifically from being included in your taxable income uh, when you pay your taxes. But, you know, again, the, the, the big issue is that it's only exempted that uh, canceled debt from your income uh, for the next five years, which generally, you know, is not all that helpful for those of us that have uh, graduated, you know, um, any time recently and been using an income-driven repayment plan and might be planning for that eventual tax uh, down the road. 
say that you're in an income-driven repayment plan currently for the years from 2021 to 2025, during those years, it will not be considered gross income, but the rest of the time will be? Well, yes, essentially, right? So the, the normally, right, the way the law was originally written when it comes to student loan repayment and income-driven repayment plans is that you would make payments for a specified period of time. And when you reach that maximum repayment period, anything that's remaining would be canceled. And however the IRS handles canceled debts for that year, that would determine whether or not your uh, forgiven balance would be taxable. Now, in almost all other cases, anytime you have debt canceled, it's treated as taxable income. But in this legislation specifically, they carved out student debt cancellation specifically for the years that might experience student debt cancellation 2021 through 2025 only, right? So if it happens beyond that 2025 timeframe as of now, then you would not be exempt from paying the tax on your student loan forgiveness. So this is a very small group of people who could potentially benefit from this then? Well, so there's different ways to look at this. Technically, yes, right? Because there's only been one income-driven plan that that has been around long enough. So income contingent repayment uh, is a specific type of income-driven repayment plan that allows you to pay based on your income uh, for 25 years. And if you still have a balance remaining, it would be uh, canceled. And, you know, prior to this legislation would be considered taxable income. Now that plan uh, went into effect in 1995. Right, so 25 years from 1995 is sometime in the middle of 2020. Um, so if you had navigated ICR for 25 years and had a balance remaining and it got canceled in 2020, you would actually have to pay the tax on that right? because 2020 is not one of the years where student loan forgiveness is exempted. But if that forgiveness happened in 2021, 2022, 23, 24, or 25, then you do not have to pay the tax on your student loan forgiveness. So it almost seems as though the thinking here is if you are about to hit that forgiveness, instead of, you know, instead of being hit with that quote unquote tax bomb during these years where perhaps the country's recovering from this pandemic, it's almost a break for those that would hit that tax bomb during these years where we're recovering from the pandemic. Is that what it seems like? Um, you know, I think that's a, that, that would be a charitable inter- interpretation of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do think that it actually has more to do with um, the, uh, the desire for this particular administration and particularly uh, Democratic senators and many uh, congressional representatives to see some amount of student debt canceled. Right. Not necessarily because of the income driven repayment plans, right, because currently that's the only mechanism for student debt to be canceled. Um, They were I think they're anticipating or even pushing the current president to do some what I call ad hoc cancellation of student debt. Right. So all the proposals that have been out there where they're talking about, you know, should we cancel $10,000 of everybody's student debt or $50,000 of everybody's student debt. 
they're still kind of investigating whether or not the, the you know the president even has the authority to do that via executive action. There's people that think that the president does, and there's people that think the president doesn't. So we don't even know where they where where we land, you know, uh, legislatively on that. Uh, however, if the president were to be able to cancel any amount of student debt, it would still be subject to taxation, right? Because again, generally speaking, the IRS treats any kind of canceled debt. Uh, as taxable income. However, this clause within the recent legislative um, package that was passed and signed into law specifically exempts student debt that is can that, that is canceled between 2021 and 2025 from being included as taxable income. Right. So if the president decided that he had the executive authority to cancel student debts, whatever amount would be canceled, if he did that between, you know, pretty much during his, his first term here, uh, that would not be subject to uh, taxes by the IRS, which is which is what I believe was the primary driver behind that uh, particular okay. piece of legislation. Okay, got it. So maybe we should back up here and sort of clarify, there's four different types from my understanding of federally funded income-driven repayment plans. And you just mentioned one, which was ICR, which is an older one. Can you run us through them real quick? Sure. So income contingent repayment, uh, which became available in 1995, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't a very beneficial plan. So almost nobody was using it. And, you know, I, I believe that the number of people that would be using ICR and would be eligible for forgiveness during this 2021 through 2025 period is, is really small. Now, we have had some improvements on those income-driven plans over the years uh, that would make it more likely that you might reach student loan forgiveness, but the next one after ICR didn't come online until 2009. So that was the first version of, of income-based repayment, so IBR. But since then, uh, we've had those plans improve more so. So we've had pay-as-you-earn, which became available in 2012. And then revise pay-as-you-earn for the people that didn't uh, meet the eligibility requirements for pay-as-you-earn. We have revised pay-as-you-earn that became available in December of 2015. Uh, we also have a, a, a newer version of IBR that's available, but that is only applicable to people who started taking um, higher education loans um, after July 1st, 2014. So there really is only, you can either qualify for the old version of IBR or the new version. You can't, you know, you can't use both, uh, but it depends on when you started borrowing your student loans um, as to whether or not you qualify for the old one or the, or the new one, right? So those newer, the newer plans, the ones starting in 20, uh, 2009, 2012, 2015, um, those are plans that are more likely to result in student loan forgiveness because they have us paying a much lower percentage of our income, right? So it's more likely that you would reach the student loan forgiveness after hitting the maximum repayment period and thus having this uh, taxable event um, that would that would occur for you. And that likely is not going to happen, you know, for any appreciable number of student loan borrowers until about 2032, which is 20 years after pay as you earn went into effect and pay as you earn tends to be one of the more beneficial of the income driven plans. So what I'm hearing is, I'm not hearing a lot of excitement from you about this. Should anybody be excited? Should any of call any of the colleagues who are in any of these plans, any of these four plans, be excited about this? And if so, why? 
Yeah, so I, you know, I, I'm reserving my excitement for a later date. Um, <laughs> I think that, and just based on how, you know, just you, you think about how much detail we've had to go into just to explain what this even means. Um, I think most people haven't even really uh, processed it or know how to process it, uh, quite frankly. Um, the, the excitement, I think, lies in the fact that that they're considering the implications of having student loans canceled and what that tax might mean for people who experience student loan forgiveness. And that's a good thing, right? Because I do believe that, you know, because these plans are so confusing and, and a lot of people use them because they provide some very meaningful monthly student loan repayment relief. But I do think that they kind of don't think long term about what the uh, forgiveness consequences could be if they if they reach forgiveness. So to exempt the student debt cancellation from being taxable income uh, is a pretty big deal in the in the in the context of student loans. And, and what a lot of people think is this: this opens the door to potentially making student loan forgiveness non-taxable going forward. Right, because if you think about the logistics of this in 2025, whatever the congressional makeup is again, and whatever the presidential makeup looks like again, we're going to have to then consider: do we want to continue that forgiveness exemption, right? So you don't have to pay tax on student loan forgiveness, or are we going to let it expire? And now we've created a situation where some people didn't have to pay tax, but more people will in the future, right? So really, honestly, it's just kind of a, to me, it looks like a, a huge uh, social experiment. And it's really going to be dependent upon what the uh, political makeup looks like. And then, you know, kind of the appetite for, you know, taxing people on student debt cancellation in the future. And to your point that you mentioned earlier, we, you know, we've spent several minutes just trying to explain what this is. So what if some listeners are feeling confused? What can they do to help make sense of this? Or where the, where do you think that they can go to sort of try to understand their situation? Yeah, so I would I would suggest, and this is because my wife and I use an income-driven plan, and I'm still planning as if there's going to be a tax due on our student loan forgiveness, right? So, you know, my recommendation is, is hope for the best, but plan for the worst, mm-hmm. right? So if you're using an income-driven repayment plan and you're not covering the interest on your uh, monthly payments or you've used the VIN Foundation Student Loan Repayment Simulator and every time you run it, you're seeing that you have a balance forgiven at the end, then I would plan as if you have to pay tax on that student debt forgiveness. And you can use the forgiveness planning module in the VIN Foundation Student Loan Repayment Simulator to help you estimate what that tax would be as well as how much you need to save in order to be prepared for that tax. Because obviously you'd rather have that sort of nut saved so that you ha- are able to pay that tax at the end. And if it turns out you don't need to, well, then that's just gravy, right? Ex- but if, ex- if, if, yeah, if, exactly. And if you do, but if you don't save for it and then you do have it due, you definitely don't want to be in that situation, right? Absolutely, right, exactly. That's exactly what the hope for the best and plan for the worst is all about, right? If I get to the end of student loan repayment and I have a balance forgiven and I don't have to pay the tax, but I've got a huge fund that was meant for paying the tax well wow now i've you know i've got bonus retirement money or i can do whatever i want to with that that nice little um you know nest egg that i've built for that 
that tax. Now, if I, you know, if all of a sudden I'm knocking on the door of forgiveness and I was banking on the fact that it was not going to be a tax due, it's going to be really hard to come up with some of these projected taxable amounts, you know, with just a few years before you hit forgiveness, right? So you really need to use that time that you have uh, before you would reach forgiveness to really get prepared for that tax in the event that you have to. And that sounds like good advice, of course. And probably there are some colleagues out there right now feeling frustrated with all these changes and all these unknowns. And it it can seem hard to keep up with. Do you have any suggestions to help with that frustration? Are are you feeling frustrated? What are you doing? Well, I think uh, uh, there's a lot of good things too, right? Now, we've we've gone, you know, into a lot of detail and, and a lot of weeds around how student loans work and and we've also delved into politics, which we generally don't do, but we have to in this case because there's there's no two ways around it. This is very right. political. Um, however, uh, the, the pandemic forbearance that's been in place uh, since March of 2020 has been hugely beneficial for all federal student loan borrowers. Mm-hmm. Right? So that has turned off the interest. Uh, it's shut off the payments for those of us in repayment and for those of us that are using an income-driven repayment strategy the time that we've spent in this pandemic forbearance even counts towards um, the time required to reach uh, forgiveness, which is a triple bonus, right? They, in, in my opinion, that was almost unnecessary because the income-driven plans could have handled, um, you know, lower no-income situations. That that's what they're designed for. Uh, but we got these additional benefits that that really provided um, some additional. Um, money in most of our monthly budgets. And if we hadn't started planning for the tax, it gives you an opportunity to uh, start building that or, or um, playing catch up. Same with your retirement funds, right? So we've got some more uh, flexibility in our budget because we don't have to pay towards our student loans. We're not accruing any interest and we're not losing any time towards forgiveness. So we can use this time to you know, boost those areas of our fi- financial wellness that we may not yet have started or have been ignoring because you know, we were either too focused on our student loans or we just didn't have the cash flow to do it. Right. So if there are colleagues who perhaps may not have been taking advantage of this forbearance time, even now, I mean, with a few months left before we get to September 30th, right, there is still time to utilize that money and and put it away and put it in your retirement. And there is still ways to make progress, even if you haven't so far. Yeah, absolutely. And even there's even a, um, a lesser known benefit as part of the CARES Act and some of the pandemic forbearance is if, if you were making payments towards your student loans and uh, decided that maybe that wasn't such a good idea, you can actually ask for refunds of those payments during this, during this pandemic forbearance period and your loan servicers have to give you that money back. Right? And so how does somebody go about getting that refund? Yeah, so they, they would go request that to their loan servicer, right? So you any payment that you've made during the pandemic forbearance period, so starting in March 13th of 2020, any payment you've made since then, you can actually request to be refunded back to you. Now, it usually takes somewhere between 30 and 60 days for them to, to process that and get you that payment back, but you can request any and all payments that uh, you've made during that pandemic forbearance period, provided all of your loans are covered under that uh, pandemic forbearance uh, uh, benefit. And is there a time, like when's the last date that you could ask for those refunds, do you know? 
Oh, I don't know if there's an end date. I mean, right now okay. the the pandemic forbearance period is is scheduled to expire at the end of this September. So mm -hmm. I would presume that you know any payment that you've made all the way through the end of September would be uh, refundable. But you know we're kind of waiting to see if that in fact will be the end of the pandemic forbearance uh, period. I, you know, there, I've seen some reports that they are considering potentially extending it, but my my thought is that they probably won't. Um, but you know, I was kind of surprised to see that they were actually, you know, even even looking into that. But you know, we don't know. You know, it, those are things that we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, if they decide they want to extend it for some reason, then great. If not, then we'll have to listen and learn what the repayment restart is also going to mean. The next thing I wanted to ask you is just with all this information we've discussed, where can people go? Because probably things will change <laughs> as we know right. things do. So where would you suggest veterinary colleagues go to look and keep for updates? And one thing that, you know, we've talked about is we're definitely going to do a VIN Foundation repayment restart webinar towards the end of, you know, probably in August or so, we'll kind of see where things are to let people know the latest changes and what we're hearing. Any other places that you'd suggest? Yeah, so I would say uh, studentaid.gov is a great place to start. They have an excellent um, COVID-19 pandemic forbearance page. So right when you land on the studentaid.gov website at the top of the page, uh, there is a, um, a banner that says COVID-19 emergency relief flexibilities. And if you review the details on that page, it pretty much answers every question that I get asked on a daily basis, right? So, um, you know, what if I'm using income-driven repayment? What if I'm working towards public service loan forgiveness? Do I need to renew my income? All of those sorts of things are covered explicitly on that studentaid.gov website. Uh, it's also where we see information pop up uh, or at, where I expect to find information pop, pop up when uh, we start talking about what repayment restart looks like. Um, so that's where I'll be going, and then we'll be digesting that information and trying to uh, tell you what it means as a veterinarian and veterinary student to help you navigate uh, getting your loans back into repayment or starting repayment for those that are graduating in the 2021 class here. So I would, you know, I would go to binfoundation.org under the student debt resources, and and um, we'll we'll keep you up to date there as well. Absolutely. And we will put all those links that Tony's mentioning in the episode notes as well. So you don't need to scramble to get there right now. Um, and if you do want to make sure that you know about the webinar, we'll put those links so that you can stay updated in the episode notes. Also, um, thank you so much for this time, Tony. Is there any other information you think colleagues with student loans need to know now? Hmm. No, I think it mostly is just you know, focus focus on you know understanding your student loans you know and and know it using the tools that are on Bin Foundation and the Student Debt Center you can still uh, learn a lot about what status your loans are in. I do routinely find that that uh, you know many people don't even know which repayment plan they're using. Right, so that's really helpful just to know which repayment plan you're using, uh, so you know that you're requesting the same one or the one that makes the most sense for you uh, in subsequent years when we start to renew our income again and, and get, kind of get back in the swing of things and what repayment looks like. Uh, we're going to have to know what repayment restart at some point. We're going to end up back in repayment, right? There's, I, I just don't see any scenario where where that's going to not happen. So uh, that's going to take some care, diligence, knowledge to make sure that mistakes aren't made by your loan servicers or you don't miss something. 
Um, for many of us that are using income-driven repayment for a long time now, uh, you may have a pretty significant unpaid interest balance. And if you miss something along the, the, the line here, when we get back into repayment, you know, that could get added to your principal, which would add more costs to your, to your overall total repayment costs over time. So uh, there's definitely reason to, you know, one, be excited by the flexibility you have so you can meet other areas of your financial wellness, but two, use this as a way to, to better understand your student loans so um, you know how to get them back in repayment once we all end up back in repayment. Wonderful. Thanks again, Tony. As always, your your knowledge is, I'm, I'm sure, helping many, many colleagues. So thanks for your time. Yeah, well, thank you again for having me. And, and please feel free to reach out. I know we were kind of in the weeds on this one. So uh, I, I anticipate that um, it's going to be tough to, to understand all that or apply it. So let us know how we can help and, and, and make it a little bit easier for you to understand. Absolutely. And we'll put that email as well to reach out in the episode notes. Thanks, everyone, and we look forward to hopefully you being here next time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.